Welcome to Unquenchable Love with Brian Francis Hume. Each week, Brian will present a Christ-centered teaching to increase your passion for the Godhead. It is our hope that this podcast will be a burning lamp that leads you on a path to encounter God's unquenchable love for you. And now our host, Brian Francis Hume. Last night I was having dinner with a dear friend, and he was talking about his desire to launch a podcast on the subject of prayer. Obviously, that's a great subject matter to to tackle in a podcast. And so so my, my first question to him was, Jason, when was the first time in your journey with the Lord that you remember the Holy Spirit provoking you in the place of prayer? And he kind of paused for a moment, and he said, well, he said it was actually uh, 1996, and I was being provoked by some friends who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so that provoked him to, because he was observing them and watching them as they were encountering the Holy Spirit and being baptized and speaking in tongues. And so he's just like, like he, he grew up in a Reformed, I think, Presbyterian church. So that was not his normal experience. He didn't have a reference point for that reality in terms of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, so that moment provoked him in the place of prayer to pray, to seek God as to what does the scripture say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And so he began this journey of just seeking the Lord in the place of prayer. Eventually came to the realization that there was indeed a reality in the scriptures pointing to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so he had this precious, precious encounter with the Lord himself as he would baptize in the Holy Spirit. But I want to draw your attention to the question, when did you first feel that, that drawing of the Lord into the place of prayer? What's your story? What was, what's, what was your moment in terms of God beginning to woo you into the secret place, woo you into that place of prayer? Now, I used the word earlier to describe my friend that he was provoked because that's actually kind of a good word to use oftentimes in the place of prayer because we're going we're gonna to look at a story where there was a woman who was provoked, provoked into the place of prayer. Now, if I had to turn the table and answer that question myself, I would look immediately the summer of 97. I just graduated from Bridgewater College, and I was transitioning into a place of full-time ministry as a campus pastor working with college students. And let me tell you, I felt overwhelmed in a good sense, of course. But nonetheless, I felt ill-equipped with the task at hand. And all I knew just from my uh, time walking with others and and being uh, even here at New Covenant Fellowship with others and observing Pastor Bob Yarbrough and, and other men and women of God, I knew that I desperately needed to grow in the place of prayer. So I was provoked out of a place of desperation because I knew that, that in that secret place before the Lord, that he would give me that which I lacked in order to shepherd these college students. And so what is your story as to, when did the Lord 
provoke you in the place of prayer. And the reality is, as you look over, like myself, the last 25 years, you look over the ebb and flow of your history in God, the reality is there's not just one provocation. There's not just one moment per se, even though that can be a defining moment that defines the rest of those precious moments before the Lord. But the reality is that there's an ebb and flow where we're, we're being drawn back into the place of prayer, being provoked by the Lord in a place of desperation to draw near unto him. And so we're going to look at a story. I've been camping out in First Samuel for the last, I'd say, six, seven, eight weeks. And whenever I'm go- I go and preach somewhere now, I, mean, I, I just open that book up and I find something that the Lord just highlights for me for, for wherever I'm ministering. And so today we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this particular message I've titled The Hinge of History. And in my conclusion, I will uh, explain a little bit more as to why it's called The Hinge of History, which I believe has prophetic application for even New Covenant Fellowship in this moment. Thank you, Father. You know, one of the things I did not mention in terms of the summer of 97, as I was seeking the Lord, I remember even enlisting in a class here that was taught by none other than Bob Yarbrough every Sunday evening uh, at 6 p.m. But he would also, it was like a corporate gathering, but he was also doing, uh, I think like It was another evening, I think, he was also doing a a smaller class on prayer uh, that was very specific. But I remember uh, in that summer just just sitting (laughs) at the feet of Pastor Bob and just, it was like, you know, I was like, you know, this little guy, when I say little, I was probably 22 at the time. But uh, it was like, you know, you're trying to take a sip on a fire hydrant. You ever, like, you see on TV, like, you know, somebody got that fire thing, and the water just burst down. You're like, you know, like one of the little kids trying to take a sip. And so, so that was absolutely transformational in my life, you know, to sit under someone who prayed. I mean, it's a difference sitting under somebody who's teaching on prayer that does not really pray in terms of a lifestyle. But sitting under Pastor Bob, the man prayed. And so, so it was like there was an anointing, an impartation into my life that I was able to receive. Now, in that season, I remember the Lord, uh, you know, I was still somewhat of a new believer in that time and season. So everything was just still new. I remember, uh, you know, just even before that summer, whenever... Uh, you know, I read in the Bible about spirit-filled prayer. I thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a paradigm. I didn't quite understand. I thought, like, okay, like, okay, prayer must be, uh, like, really, like, uh, when, when I said, thought of spirit-led prayer, like, I have to pray, like, really fast and, and just, like, let the words come forth. And so every night, I was almost like, I hate to say that, but I actually dreaded prayer. And it was like right before bed, I was like, get on my, on my knees right by my bed. And I would just pray as fast as I could down the list of names that I knew uh, people needed prayer. And so I just thought that spirit-led prayer was like this like super fast, like, 
you know, just going bang, 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 and just letting the words flow. Now, there certainly can be a place for that if you get that knobby unction of the Lord. But, uh, but my, my paradigm was off a little bit. But, you know, that's the learning curve, and that's just the grace and the goodness of God and teaching us in this place of prayer. But, but in that summer, I remember uh, there, there was one particular verse, uh, several verses actually, but I, I, I remember in the, that season, like it was like whether it was at night or early, uh, or early in the afternoon, I was looking at the time, and I kept noticing it was one eleven, and and I thought, Lord, are, are you saying something? And immediately I was, I, I had the impression to look at Luke chapter 1, verse 11. And in that verse, we're not going to expound on that particular verse this morning. But I'm, 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 I'm uh, setting the stage here for my conclusion uh, in terms of the hinge of history. But when I saw that it, during that early journey with the Lord, my prayer, uh, discovering what prayer was, um, I, I just began to look at that verse and just, I just felt the unction of the Lord on that particular verse as uh, it talks about the, uh, the father of the forerunner, John the Baptist, and, and Zacharias as the priest would go on into, uh, into the, the, uh, the holies of holy and he was offering up the, the offering before the Lord. And so in verse 11, it says that he saw the angel of the Lord standing by the altar of incense. And, and as a young believer, I just studied, you know, that little verse and, and, and you know, found some scriptures in, uh, in Revelation chapter 5 and 8 about the, the altar of or the, the, the incense that's offered up as the prayer of the saints. And I just began to, to use that verse and, and just go deep in the Lord's heart in the place of prayer. And it was just one of those, like, verses that uh, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just breathe upon in your heart. And it just becomes uh, this, like, living, uh, uh, active, dynamic revelation from the Lord that, that provides this, like, mm, in your prayer time. Because we all need that little mm, in our prayer time, that unction from the Holy Spirit that comes upon us in that place of prayer. And so it was just this fresh revelation from the Lord, just this, this, this grace from heaven to begin to pray according to his heart. And, and that was just the beginning of my journey in terms of answering the question, when did you first learn to begin to pray? And so when you look at that verse, there were other verses as well. And you can write this in your notes if anybody's taking notes. Uh, Malachi 1.11 as well. That was a key passage. So, so we're going to look at this morning. And, and again, I will close and, 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 and come full circle with this hinge of history moment. But... Uh, but in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we open up, and we are, we are in a desperate time in Israel. We are in a moment that is, uh, things aren't looking too good. Because when you look at 1 Samuel, you really have to look at the book of Judges. Because that's an extension of what's happening in this moment. And so when you look at Judges, all you need to do... Uh, if you want to sum up the book of Judges, let's look at the very last verse. And I believe it's chapter 21, verse 25. But that particular verse, in essence, says that, that basically Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And when we're doing what's right in our own eyes, 
that's not a good sign. And so, so then we have, right after the book of Judges, you have this, this amazing short little read called Ruth. But Ruth, in the very last few verses of her book, sets up the stage as there's this genealogy where it mentions uh, Obed and then Jesse and then David. And so God is setting the stage already. He is setting the stage for 1 Samuel. Because then we have here in 1 Samuel, which obviously uh, is a reference to the prophet Samuel. Now, Samuel in terms of his life, in terms of his ministry, represents a hinge. Because when you look at Samuel, the best way to sum up his his life and ministry is, I believe, in this particular phrase, and that is that Samuel was the last of the judges, but the first of the prophets. And you can look in that, even in uh, the New Testament, there's specifically three different references to Samuel. Uh, you look in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 13, and then Hebrews 11. And, and then those references to Samuel, very clear that Samuel is designated in the scriptures as, a, uh, as the first prophet in terms of the specific office that he walks in. Now, now there were other prophets before him, yes, in terms of Abraham. Moses. But the uniqueness of Samuel is that this, he is the hinge between the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. He is the hinge between a rulership by judges and deliverers to a rulership by a God-appointed king. And so we see in Samuel this, uh, this demonstration of a prophet being raised up who will speak directly to the king. And so, so, so Samuel is a man who was a hinge in the hands of God. And upon that hinge did the door of history open and close. And so for every Samuel that we stumble across in terms of that type of a hinge... There's actually a Hannah that gives birth to that hinge. And that's what I want to focus in on here this morning, is, is birthing purposes of God in the place of what? Prayer. In the place of travailing prayer before the Lord. Now, we're going to zero in on 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. And you're probably wondering at this point, uh, okay, where are you going with this whole 111 theme? Like I said, you're going to find out in the conclusion. You know, they say that you should, like, really to engage your audience. You want to, like, give them a little uh, teaser, you know. So I'm trying to throw this out. I hope it, uh, it lives up to uh, how I'm working it up. Thank you, Father. So we're looking at, uh, again, we're going to set the stage here. Uh, so, so we have seen, I've just basically described a, a uh, macro view of history in that context. So in other words, Israel was not doing good. They had for centuries been a rebellious people who for a, in their rebellion would cry out to God because they were being enslaved by the Philistines. 
And so in their moment of crying out to God, God would raise up a judge, a deliverer, like a Samson or a Deborah. And he would deliver them. So there would be that, that momentary, uh, uh, that momentary, uh, I don't know, freedom to quite the right word, but uh, where they weren't enslaved by the Philistine, but yet they then would find themselves in that same cycle. So that was going on and on. And so, so we have seen that micro, that macro view. Now let's zero in a little bit in terms of this, uh, like a micro view of First Samuel chapter one, because we have here, as it opens up, and I and I find this, uh, you know, quite extraordinary here. When you look in verse one, it immediately goes into the genealogy of. Um, Hannah's husband, Elkanah. And there's lots of names and places that I, uh, I, I cannot pronounce. But, uh, but th- there's only one thing that you need to know in terms of this particular introduction to Elkanah. And, and that was uh, that Elkanah was a nobody and came from nobodies. And so God just has a way of setting the stage in terms of bringing forth a hinge of history where he likes to use those who are in a place of obscurity, those who uh, may not necessarily be known, those who seem to come from uh, somewhat humble origins. I don't know about you, but I, I, certainly, uh, I certainly fit the description that Elkanah fits I mean, I, I look at my, my, uh, my genealogy, nothing impressive. Come from, uh, you know, um, Don mentioned my mom, who was a, a faithful attendee of New Covenant for many years, a wonderful, uh, it was just a, such a wonderful place for her to really thrive in her walk with Christ. But, you know, looking back at her genealogy, both her parents were uh, heroin addicts and alcoholics that died by the time they're mid-40s. Uh, and so there was just nothing but destruction on that side. And then the other side, you know, I have, uh, you know, my biological father, his father both committed suicide right about the time I was born. And there's just lots of alcohol that was uh, in that side of family. So some of us here, things don't look too good on your genealogy. But yet that is not the determining factor of the hand of God upon your life. That does not determine where you're going. That does not determine your story. And so through the cross of Christ, we can have confidence that he breaks off those those bad, bad stories. I don't know how to say it. Those bad genealogical uh, storylines that we do not want to continue in our storyline. And so so we see here that Elkanah has two wives, which is a recipe for disaster. But... uh, (laughs) I don't know what he was thinking, but we see in the midst of Hannah and the other wife, a rivalry that emerges in that context. And so let's go ahead and just forward right into verse 11. In verse 11, I'm going to read it. This is Hannah, and she has gone up to Shiloh with her family, with her husband, and she is in a place of distress. And she's praying to God in the temple of the Lord. And verse 11. And she vowed a vow 
and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So we see here in the very beginning of verse 11, I want to camp out here in this particular verse and then we'll wrap it up. But in verse 11, it said, and she vowed a vow and said, she vowed a vow and said, now when, when I'm in conversation with others and they mentioned to me that they have made a vow before the Lord, I'll be honest with you, I get a little nervous in that moment. Because sometimes we can make a vow in the place of our, uh, how do I say this? Um, in, in the place of our, when I say the word flesh, I'm talking about in the place of our soulish strength. We so desire something, but yet even in that desiring of something, we haven't really surrendered it to the Lord. Now, when you look at Hannah, her name in the Hebrew means favor. Another word to use would be grace. So Hannah, favor and grace before the Lord. So in this place, and we'll see here even uh, as we continue to read verse 11, but there was a place of surrender in her heart unto the Lord. And it's in that place of surrender that we can make a vow before the Lord. Because in that place of surrender... There's a, there's a what? There's a corresponding grace to walk out that which you have been provoked by the Lord. And so oftentimes it's important that in these desperate moments, as we cry out to God, that there's a point of surrender in the heart before we, mix, we vow a vow. Now, oftentimes uh, when I look back on my, uh, uh, my wedding day, May 12, 2001, Obviously, we made vows in the context of covenant before God, my wife and I. But, man, I had no idea what I was getting into. And, and, I, and I mean, my wife is amazing. But the reality was there was such selfishness in my own life and my own heart, my own flesh, that God was using the context of covenant to refine me. So oftentimes we, uh, we have to remember and... and, and you know, my wife and I had to learn this the hard way through uh, trial and error. But, but in the context of covenant, we had to learn that God's utmost desire for a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, was to, to conform us to the image of Christ. Gary Thomas writes a book called Sacred Marriage. And it was recommended to us during some bumpy roads in those early years. And the context, the premise of that book by Gary Thomas is that, that marriage, that God intends marriage to be for holiness and not happiness. Now, the happiness follows the holiness, but there comes a point where of surrender, surrender in this place of covenant before the Lord. And so when we are before the Lord in the place of prayer, the first objective of heaven in the place of prayer is what? Surrender. I believe that every orchestration of life's events in your life is to bring you to the point of surrender. 
And it's in that place of surrender that we can bow a bow and have the corresponding grace to walk that out. Have you ever been in such a place before the Lord where the tenderness of your heart was so broken before God, but yet there was a pliability in the heart and in that place, it was like you could, you could reach out to the Lord and like have such confidence in His grace in that moment and the tenderness and the brokenness of your heart. That's what's happened in the place of surrender is that there is a corresponding grace that empowers you to walk out the very vow, I believe, that the Holy Spirit put in your heart before the Lord. So it's not coming out of your own doing. It's not coming out of your own wishful thinking. It's not coming out of your own soulish strength. But it comes a point where it's beyond your own ability and you cry out to God as Hannah was crying out here before Yahweh. So she bowed a bow in the place of grace. So my question, first question this morning for you is, is your heart posture in a place of full surrender before Christ in the place of prayer? You know, usually you say that for the last. But I, I believe here that the Lord wants to put that on the forefront. Like, you know, let's, let's not beat around the bush. But let's just go right right to it. The Lord wants to bring us into a place of surrender. Thank you, Father. This has been Unquenchable Love with Brian Francis Hume. Join us each week as we pursue God's heart for passion, purity, and prayer.